Hear ye, hear ye, come one and all. Join us for a free introductory journey through occult theory and practice. Learn dazzling mysteries, occult sciences, and powerful spells. Heal the sick, curse your enemies, and attract the favor of that sexy human next door. All this can be yours absolutely free. All we ask is that you tune in every other week. Learn what you can and put it into practice. Some side effects may include stress relief, a new outlook on life, and a newfound obsession with small shiny objects. Tune in today. Who I've been trying to convince people actually lives on the moon. Yeah. And that's why no, he just basically couch surfs his way through life. He's a fucking alien, dude. He might be. He might be. He's a good but guy, this though. podcast isn't about that. No, no, it's not. <laughs> not about aliens. It's not about uh, aliens. It probably shouldn't be about Andy. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> All right, now now we're dialed in. I now we're, we're here. Now we're, we're here. All right. Welcome to the Fool's Guide to the Occult. I am Kevin. And I'm the warm tingle running up your spine. Well, at least hopefully it's warm. Today, we are talking about the spiritual energy force known by many names throughout many cultures. We will also delve into chakras, auras, and energy work in general. Yeah, absolutely. But before we get into all that, Diviners, your quest is active. Also, please remember to have a look at our Facebook community page, fellow travelers, and have a sneak peek at our art contest we have going on right now. You Fabulous could... prizes await you. Yeah, well, custom t-shirt. Um, yeah, so check into that. We also need to do a bit of journaling before we kick it off here. We do. Speaking of kicking it off, do you mind doing so? Uh, yeah, no problem. Um, I recently, I stopped drinking alcohol every night. Uh, I used to drink, you know, one or one or two drinks uh, an evening. I'm no longer drinking during the week. Um, only when I go out with friends and stuff on the weekends. And even then, you know, just one or two. Sure. I also completely gave up caffeine. I'm not smoking weed before bedtime. Uh, maybe a little bit during like the early evening, but... Uh, so you're a, a middle school teacher facing the world untrammeled by caffeine. Yeah. That's that's a thing you've chosen for your life. It is, yeah. Without that, that world prophylactic that is caffeine. Oh, yeah. No, we're, we're working different angles now. Anyway. We certainly are. <laughs> Heavens to Murgatroyd. Yes, we are. Yeah, totally. Um, I'm remembering my dreams a whole lot more, though. Um, oh, that's cool. All Three of those substances interrupt sleep. So, uh, I've, yeah, I'm having, well, not having, but I'm remembering uh, more dreams than I, I used to. I've also been uh, doing yoga and meditation before bed. Uh, it's helped me relax. I can fall asleep much easier. I'm still ha having trouble. haven't been able to lucid dream. So that's still something I'm working on. Uh, I have set alarms for myself throughout the day to remind myself to check in with reality, you know, am I, am I dreaming right now? Flick the lights or push my finger through my hand or whatever it is. Sure. Unlock your phone. Um, you know, using that philosophy that if I get in the habit of checking in with reality while I'm awake, this should carry over to, you know, my subconscious while I'm dreaming. Nothing yet, but we'll keep you posted. Fantastic. And uh, next episode, we'll actually talk about 
some of the process of documenting how you're doing and whether you're being successful at things. Yeah. That's actually a thing we will, we will discuss. I spent the last week on vacation, which was lovely, but also super weird because I have a grown up job now and, and they pay me for vacation time, which is really odd. Um, yeah, it is crazy, isn't it? It is. I have dental. Anyway, uh, I absolutely have not given up caffeine or alcohol, although I don't typically smoke up because random drug testing. Uh, this said, my dreams have been both particularly vivid and particularly odd lately. Uh, I think the most likely reasons for this are a combination of actually getting eight to nine hours of sleep a night while on vacation and eating dessert too close to bedtime. Oh, yeah, that's a another one. Yeah. Eating before bed. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe something about Mercury traversing the sun. No, I am just kidding. I have no idea what that would do. Um, in any event, one of the more notable dreams I had this week started out uh, pretty tame, like fairly tame in terms of dream logic, I guess. And then it kind of snuck up on me and got a little weird. So let's let's set the scene. Uh, I'm wearing the the Velcro and foam suit that the tiny kid from Little Giants was wearing uh, because his mother was prophetically correctly terrified to let her child play football. If you guys have seen that movie, uh, Not in a long time, but yeah, right. It's been a hot minute, but I think everybody remembers the foam suit. <laughs> Little kid looked like a, a pillar of foam. Uh, anyway. I'm walking down Michigan Avenue right near the Bean in Chicago. So for those of you who somehow don't know yet, because it's been around for a weirdly long period of time now that I think about it, there's an enormous chrome bean-shaped statue at Millennium Park in downtown Chicago. Is it, is it a statue, installation, yeah. a, a sculpture? Sculpture I installation? I don't know. You can walk through it. You can, uh, and I've done so. It's a giant chrome bean. It's like... 50 feet tall. It's huge. Enormous chrome bean. That it's called the bean, too. That's not the actual name for it. It is okay. not. And I have no idea what it's actually called. But I also don't know anyone who knows what it's actually called. Uh, it's just my, the bean. Yeah, my spouse knows. Um, but okay. I can't think of it off the top of they my head. They would know. Yeah, they would know. That it, is the sort of thing. It's very cool. If you're ever in Chicago, get hot it is pretty neat. and then go check out the bean. Well, it's all complex curves. So it's all like weird reflections and stuff. Yeah, it's uh, super trippy. Anyways, I'm alone, which is very weird for Millennium Park. Arms straight out to the sides because of my foam suit. Uh, and the only sounds getting through the foam are pigeons arguing about whether the Supreme Court should be expanded. Uh, probably Fucking because... Pigeons. I'm sorry? Nothing. <laughs> no, yeah. uh, but I've been talking about that with, uh, with my spouse over the past couple weeks. That's just been a topic of conversation. Um... I feel the need to speed up because the pigeons are getting kind of rowdy. Uh, so I start booking it down Michigan Avenue to get away from the park as best I can in this huge foam suit. So like arms straight out to the sides. Like I, I imagine from the outside, I look like a bad costume of the bill from uh, Schoolhouse Rock. Oh, hey. <laughs> right. So, uh, Slowly, the bean starts to glow brighter and brighter, and I can see it over the top of my foam suit. And there's this low hum 
that I can kind of feel in my bones and teeth. Uh, and as the bean gets brighter, the cityscape around me fades and I can't see the skyscrapers over my foam suit anymore. So it's just me and the bean and the arguing pigeons in an empty cavernous black space. Uh, and the hum gets louder until it drowns out the pigeons. And all that's left is this humming, brightly glowing bean. And I have this feeling, this, this sense of being uplifted. Uh, I feel slightly nauseous. And I feel like a sense of hope. And suddenly the bean just goes out. Uh, the humming slowly fades. And I'm alone in my foam suit in the dark. And then I gently wake up. So per um, usual, I have performed no analysis on this dream. Let's dig yeah, in a little. Just going to ask you, what do you think all that means? I have no clue. Let's look for some standard imagery in there based the on bean is a UFO. The bean might be a UFO. The might the bean <sighs> might be just uh, the unknown or or a benevolent outside influence of some sort. Hmm. I can see um, that. What about the pigeons, though? I think the pigeons represent my abject fear over the modern politics of our country. That's fair. I mean, they are basically flying rats. They are. And that really fits with the current political class. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Like, really. It really fits. Especially because they started to get rowdy and I was worried about them through a giant foam suit. <laughs> right like i don't want to get too political on this show like even though we absolutely have in the past and i do not regret it for a moment but rats with wings arguing about the supreme court is kind of what uh we see when we're awake yeah a little bit i feel like that would make a great political cartoon it would so yeah if you're a political cartoonist take that one and run Feel free. I bequeath my rights over that idea unto the internet at large. <laughs> um, I don't know what the foam suit represents. I guess maybe like a sense of insulation and distance from the things around me. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a very literal. Blanket of sorts. Yeah. Could be. It was very warm. Hmm. Are you like trying to insulate yourself from reality lately? Maybe. Well, I feel like maybe that's like what a vacation is for. Oh, that's that's a good point. Insulation and recharging. Yeah. Just getting a little bit of privacy and distance from the world around me. Um, yeah. Maybe a sense of protectivism. Maybe just a sense of being in danger and needing that. Yeah, maybe so. Could be. Could be. I've had some weird dreams lately, too, but we can go into those another time. We sure can. Uh-huh. So... Let's talk about ki or chi or kia or prana or life energy or whatever we want to talk about. Whatever else we want to call it. All of this stuff that it has many names. Same thing. It is. It's it's uh, life goop. Life goop. Life goop. I don't know about that term. I am going to keep pushing it until it catches on. (laughs) All right. Well, on page 142 of the Spiral Dance by Starhawk, we find a passage that reads, Of all the disciplines of magic, the art of moving energy is the simplest and most natural. It comes as easily as breathing, as making sound. Picture the power in motion, and it moves. Feel it flowing, and it flows. Cleansing, 
healing, renewing, and revitalizing as it passes. While much of today's episode is going to focus on the Asian traditions, from India to China to Korea and Japan, it's also important to remember that all of our spiritual paths have discussed this for, uh, force in one way or another. Even uh, Christians have phrases for it, keeping uh, or being touched by God's love, God's light, or being overcome with the Holy Spirit. Overcome with the Holy Spirit. That sounds like really meaty. That, yeah, I that think sounds that's like, what's happening when people are like talking in tongues and convulsing on the floor. And like dancing with snakes. Yeah, we should talk about that. At some we point. should. Gentle listeners, if any of you come from a snake church and you're interested in being interviewed on our bullshit to white guys occult podcast, please yeah. get in touch. We would oh, love to hear from you. I doubt there are any Southern Baptists listening to this show, but if there are, yeah, let's talk. If you uh, know anyone from a Southern Baptist or or other snake-based faith uh, that is not necessarily purportedly a snake-based faith, we still want to hear from you. Also, can we start a religion that's snake-based? I think like they a have a literal few. snake-based. Are there? But I mean, like set from. Like a set was an alligator or crocodile rather anyway i don't know uh but we're focusing mostly on asian interpretations of this energy as it is likely the most well-defined system for working directly with it and has the best language for us to use uh, so ki or chi is a spiritual energy which permeates and maintains all life uh, it's also tied to the concept of yin and yang as well as the five classic metaphysical elements of uh, the historical Asian systems, uh, fire, water, earth, metal, and wood, and a whole host of other components that could be the topic of an entire series of episodes in the future. We're very optimistic about doing series of episodes in the future. We have a running list of episodes we'd like to do, and it is very long. It is. Yes. So keep enjoying our show and give us feedback. Please Hopefully constructive criticisms. We, we would we love to make hear the from show you. better and we want to keep doing it. So we're not yeah. very lonely. We're both very busy, but we would we love are. to hear from you. Absolutely. Um, and you can do that via our Facebook fellow travelers page or on Facebook in general or at our Instagram um, at Fool's Guide. Uh, we are also on Twitter if you would like to tweet at us. I never um, check the Twitter. I also never check the Twitter. But if any of you quote at us, let us know on Facebook and, <laughs> and we'll check the Twitter. <laughs> right. <laughs> or perhaps we'll meet up in the dream world. Perhaps way, we will. Meaning well, let's move on. Let's talk about China. Uh, yeah. In the Chinese system, everything begins with Tao. And I'd love to do an episode on Taoism at some point. Uh, the Tao Te Ching is a very interesting book and Taoism is a, a really interesting uh, religion, but the Tao is all uh, from the Tao sprang all of existence. And with it, yin and yang, the two forces constantly pushing and pulling on each other, seeking balance. This interplay resulted in key energy or chi energy, which took the form of the five classical Chinese elements that we've already discussed. Concept of key is first described in China in the text The Yellow Emperor's Classic of Internal Medicine, 
written sometime around 300 BC during the Warring States period. Uh, within the text, Chi is described as a universal energy that permeates all of existence, supports and promotes life. Lao Tzu, author of the Tao Te Ching, referred to Chi as immaterial breath. Uh, over time, there developed a belief in the form of Chi called Yan Chi, which is believed to be the energy you are born with. Uh, some even believe it can be depleted over time through various actions such as sexual activity, childbirth, poor diet, uh, lack of exercise, etc. All of this is closely tied to the concept of yin and yang, uh, the belief that everything in life is dualistic, in flux, constantly seeking balance. Uh, yin represents forces of earth, cold, emptiness, white, and femininity. Yang represents the sky or heavens, heat, fullness, black, masculinity. Uh, and of course, as the symbol we all know indicates, there's always a bit of one in the other, and vice versa. Indeed. All of this is also interrelated to the five elements of the Chinese magic and energy system. Each of the five elements is seen as uh, a way in which qi expresses itself throughout the universe. These are, again, fire, earth, water, wood, and metal. Fire is seen as a hot, dry, destructive, moving force. Earth's attributes are uh, nature, life-giving, and fertility. Metal is hard, firm, conductive. Metals also encompasses um, those attributes reflected by the Western element of air, but it is also including things like gravity, electricity, the movement of celestial bodies, and magnetism. In a human context, it reflects the desire to surpass sorrow. Water uh, is cool, wet, flowing, yielding. Water is constantly changing, flowing, filling its container, and when stressed, breaking it. For these reasons, it's often viewed as a dangerous uh, element, although it is also uh, the giver of life. So consider this when thinking about water. Bruce Lee once told the martial arts community in an interview he gave that we all must be like water to flow and to crash. That is pretty cool. Link between uh, martial arts and uh, spiritual I feel like nature. More things should things, have a link with Bruce Lee. I think a lot of things have. Br we just links don't explore them enough. Maybe we'll start a separate podcast no. just on the relationship of reality to Bruce Lee. Mm. We won't, but that'd be funny. Yep. <laughs> Finally, we have wood. Uh, wood is rooted, growing, living. Each element is also tied to a season, a climate, a direction, like a cardinal direction, an emotion, a color, a taste, and a yin and a yang organ. So each element has a, a yin organ and a yang organ that it's associated so with. So all of these things together are believed to affect the physical and mental health of the human being, as well as the whole universe. It is also through the Yellow Emperor's classic that the concept of meridians is introduced. Uh, these are intangible pathways, not dissimilar to blood veins, through which qi energy moves about the body. Qi originates uh, in the body at the hara, or tanjun point, which is approximately four inches below the navel. The belly button. Yin and yang energy must be in balance in order to allow qi to flow properly through these channels. If it's out of balance, the channels can get blocked or just decrease in their flow. This uh, decrease in nourishing chi energy 
according to these traditions, leads to physical or psychological ailments. Of the meridians, there are 12 that are known as constant meridians, each of which can be found on either side of the body and can be physically stimulated via acupressure or acupuncture to correct blockages in chi flow. Each element has one yin and one yang meridian, except for fire, which has two sets. There are also two other meridians known as conceptual meridians. I'm sorry, one of them is, a, is called the conceptual meridian. The other one is the governing vessel meridian. I feel like it's fascinating that like a command and control system is built into this view of, of a medical interpretation of energy throughout the body. Yeah, it's very interesting, isn't it? Like there's whole there's two entire channels just dedicated to controlling the system. Yeah. I think that's surprisingly forward thinking. It really is. Yeah. All of the 14 meridians are tied to organs and systems within the body. And additionally, each meridian has a two-hour time period during the day in which it's most active. Uh, there are points along the meridians called Tsubo, uh, where chi is easily interacted with. The Western science of trigger point therapy uses these same locations to release tension on muscles and joints. Uh, in shiatsu and other forms of chi energy therapy, Tsubos could be used to influence mood, state of mind, rebalance energies... Uh, and speed up the healing of bodily damage and ailment. Development, maintenance, and focusing of chi energy for a variety of purposes is done through a dance-like meditative process called qigong. We've briefly spoken about that at a we couple have. other points in this episode, or not this episode, but this show before. Tai Chi also focuses on manipulation of chi energy. That's sort of a cross between qigong and meditation and martial arts a little bit there are many forms of tai chi but the version people in the west are most familiar with is yang style which uses many slow movements uh the most well-known series of yang style uh, tai chi is called the 24 forms and you can actually learn that on youtube if you're interested you can look that up it's an interesting practice because it is uh, a movement-based meditation process that also helps build strength uh, balance flexibility and uh, focus it is believed that the hands and feet as the ends of meridians are the easiest places to disperse key energy this belief has led to the practice of shiatsu reiki and others which we'll talk about a little later it can also be directed with the martial arts to add power and, and damage to strikes, uh, acupuncture, the ancient Chinese medicine of altering the flow of key by inserting needles along the meridians is still around today. Uh, originally, it was done with bone and bamboo needles. Uh, as time went on, they did it with gold and silver ones because those are some of the metals that it's easiest to form super, super fine wire out of. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there was some belief on like the precious metals being um, having more like spiritual energy to them or something like that, I guess, because they're rare. I mean, in terms of gold, it's one of the most conductive metals. Right. And they used gold in. So like one was for like yin energy and one was for yang energy. So yeah. there was like a thing there too. But anyway, today it's it's only done with sterilizable surgical steel. Which is probably good. Yeah, right? You don't really real. want somebody just sticking some bone in you. That's that's not good. You don't. You got enough. Here's a chicken bone. Let's put that in your back. <laughs> Obviously, this can be... <laughs> <laughs> I did not expect to chuckle at that noise, but... <laughs> 
but that is what has happened. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, uh, acupuncture can be dangerous, so you should only receive it from a therapist that's that's trained and probably licensed. Uh, you don't want to do it on yourself. You don't want your buddy down the street to do it. I guess the essence of it is, uh, as with most medical and purported medical treatments, seek out a trained professional. Indeed. However, acupressure, which is done kind of in the same way, you use the same uh, subos, but you're you're pushing your fingers into the places instead of uh, instead of using needles. Uh, this is a lot more safe. You can do it yourself. You can practice with friends. Um, of course, chi energy can also be found in Chinese martial arts like Kung Fu. Sure. Uh, let's move on to Korea. According to Scott Shaw, whose book focuses on Korean methods, diet heavily impacts your ki flow and your yin and yang balance. Uh, meat is a very yang food. And then fruits and vegetables are very yin. So from a, a merely scientific standpoint, meat takes longer to digest. Your body puts lots of energy into that and thus away from other tasks. Uh, additionally, uh, Scott Shaw says uh, you shouldn't eat three hours before bed as digestion will interrupt your sleep and your stomach should be resting with the rest of the body. Ultimately, he recommends a meat-free diet, but he also addresses the issues of overeating and undereating and how they affect the body and key flow. Basically, if you want to develop strong key energy and uh, I guess control over it isn't the right word, but uh, be able to play with it, you need to eat healthy, sleep healthy, breathe healthy, and so on. You have more influence over your own body using these inputs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He also recommends people avoid caffeine and refined sugars, uh, as they also have negative side effects for the body and the mind. Uh, something we should be well aware of in this day and age, I suppose. Yeah, I need to um, work on the sugar thing. Yeah, tell me about it, bud. It's hard. It is. It's, it's literally an addictive substance. Yeah. Uh, the teachings of Ki and the Yellow Emperor's classic found their way to Korea during the, I think it's Kui, I don't know, Ki Dynasty. I don't speak Chinese, so forgive me. Um, key philosophy flourished in Korea and eventually found its way to Japan. In both the Korean and Japanese cultures, key energy found its way into the martial arts traditions. The Korean king, Chin Hong, uh, during the warring period around 576 CE, created the Hua Rang, meaning flowering youth. These were exceptionally well-trained noblemen who studied multiple martial arts, Buddhism, and the use of key energy. According to Scott Shaw's The Key Process, advanced key training taught the young Hua Rang how to channel key energy, first internally to strengthen their bodies against the fierce Korean climate, and then externally in order to become more powerful warriors in battle. He also discusses their meditative practices, and how not only did they practice traditional meditation, but a form of committed thought and spirit. Uh, in many ways, he describes it in similar ways to how we have described gnosis, a sort of single-pointed thought or intention. Also, key is part of uh, the key hop, if you're um, like a martial artist, as long as we're talking about the interplay here between uh spiritual key energy in martial arts this is the shout you'll hear people vocalize when they land a strike or a kick in taekwondo or hapkido or other martial arts unfortunately in the united states i think 
most students aren't really taught like how to do it, what the purpose of it is. And, you know, we've kind of stripped away the spiritual element of a lot of these things that come to the Western world from other places. There are um, still some Korean style dojangs that focus on that. Yeah. Um, um, my there Taekwondo was actually a pretty good one at Ohio State. Yeah. Uh, that was a Tung Soo Do school. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. In a lot of places, it's unfortunately. You were talking about your Taekwondo way. studio? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, my Taekwondo studio, um, my my sensei was, uh, that's not the right word, a subonym, um, was uh, immigrated to the States directly from Korea. and That's a very different Taekwondo than you get in a mall. It is, yeah, but he did not teach us anything about key or meditation or the you know anything other than the physical side of fighting. Which did you ask him? Kind of strange. Did I ask him? No, yeah. I was eleven. Oh, never mind. <laughs> maybe that's why, though. Maybe, maybe some fairly high concept work. I don't know. I I feel like it's better to learn at a young age. Could be. So let's talk a bit about uh, the Japanese system. All right. When the philosophy key arrived in Japan, it got transmitted via the Koreans. It integrated with martial life as well, especially among the samurai class. The belief that there's a form of universal energy permeating all of existence fit right in with the belief in kami, spirits that inhabit all things, both natural and made by human hands. Both Taoist and Buddhist teachings were right at home among the local beliefs of the Japanese, which can be traced back to the indigenous Ainu people. With the arrival of Ki came new understandings of healing and of combat, not dissimilar to uh, its integration in Korea. The martial art uh, Aikido is largely concerned with the flow of energy, um, both physical and spiritual, and the idea of flow of the body in general. So techniques in Aikido center around redirection of an opponent's force. But when it comes to the healing side of Ki, uh, there are concepts from Japan that we must turn our attention to, which are Shiatsu and Reiki. Cool. Shiatsu uh, means finger pressure, and in many ways it is similar to acupressure, though it can be applied with other parts of the hand as well as knees and elbows and supplemental tools. Uh, naturally, Shiatsu, as with all other forms of Ki therapy, seek to treat the cause as well as the symptoms a patient is experiencing. So within Shiatsu, there are two terms we should be familiar with. Uh, kyo, which means deficient, and jitsu, which is an excess. Uh, meridians can be either of these, both or in their ideal state of balance. Often a practitioner will focus on kyo areas and use the process of tonification, through which slow increases in pressure uh, treat deficient meridians. And by treating these deficient meridians, meridians that are currently in excess will heal and normalize. Uh, a successful shiatsu practitioner should have a healthy diet, low in meat and dairy, and avoid uh, eating cold things. Apparently, like it takes the stomach longer to digest cold things because you have to heat it up first. I don't it know. Does. Yeah, so they want you to avoid things that are like too cold, so ice cream and ice water and stuff like that. Sure. Practice good breathing techniques, which we'll discuss towards the end of the episode. Avoid drugs like uh, caffeine, tobacco, alcohol, along with other substances. Stay in good physical condition through exercise. And Lucinda Lindell in The Book of Massage recommends Hatha-style yoga um, for its stretching and breathing regulation. Uh, you want to keep your body temperature pretty optimal. Don't get too hot. Don't get too cold, especially like when you're working on somebody. Nobody likes getting a massage with cold hands. Or from sweaty people. 
Yeah, that too. So, you know, keep that good normalized temperature. Practice meditation to center your mind and protect yourself from negative emotions. And that's what we have for you on that. This isn't massage school, so we can't really give you more detailed lessons on shiatsu. Take a community college class. I imagine that it would be very challenging to properly convey good shiatsu technique just via podcast. Yeah, I don't know how to show you where the meridians are and where to put your thumbs and stuff. Right. Like Lots of thumbs are involved. You got to have like seven or eight thumbs. Yeah, at least. Reiki. All right, Reiki. Let's talk about Reiki. Developed in Japan uh, by Mikeo Usui around 1922. Uh, Reiki is another form of energy therapy. The word itself translates to mysterious atmosphere, which I think is kind of fun. It is fun, yeah. Unlike shiatsu, it does not require the receiver of healing energy to be present, though most often they are. Uh, it does require an initiation through various stages or levels, and more often than not, you have to pay for this, which makes it sort of culty, sort of scientology e. Yeah. Through Reiki, the individual channels key to remedy people physically and encourage mental and emotional healing as well. Yeah, it's... um. It's like laying on laying on of hands or uh but like or, from wherever. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's like thoughts and prayers but but more targeted. Yeah, like you're specifically trying to channel uh key energy to do certain things or heal certain right. things. I do love that in 2009 the US Conference of Catholic Bishops officially denounced Reiki as a superstition cuz like I mean, do I really need to say anything more about that? <laughs> also in 2014, the same group announced that Reiki practice could make people susceptible to demonic possession. I mean, if by demonic possession, they mean practicing a different faith-based system. Right. Is it the same? I feel like to Catholics, that might be the same. Probably. You're straying away from our power structure. <laughs> Evil. Domina, domina, get back in line. <laughs> All right, let's briefly talk about Greece before we Let's talk about Greece. Yeah. Uh, in Greek... The word pneuma, which has a silent P at the beginning, can mean breath, spirit, or soul. It takes many forms and interpretations throughout the history of Greek philosophy, but to the Stoics, it meant the little fragment of Zeus that is inside all of us. Uh, in other words, our soul. But it is also the force that orders all matter, and thus exists inside all things animate or inanimate. Pneuma is also a totally awesome song off the new Tool album. It is. Such a good song. It is. Moving on to ancient India. All right. Uh, in India and within the Hindu faith, we have the concept known as prana, uh, which the Watkins Dictionary of Magic defines as the Sanskrit word for breath or life force. Uh, this is also the system from which we get the concept of chakras and kundalini, which we will discuss a bit later. There are five types of prana, referred to as the five vayas, or five winds. Each vaya is associated with specific organs or parts of the body and rule of certain actions, uh, which is very similar to the Chinese system, or at least ideologically similar. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if the two influenced each other a little bit. That's very possible. Yeah, There's also a system of energy channels called nadis, but unlike the Chinese meridians, 
there are 72,000 Nadis. Ooh. So we're going to list those, right? Uh, each and every one. <laughs> Buckle in, y'all. <laughs> Get your notebook out. <laughs> Get out your journal. Make, <laughs> make sure make sure your copybook is ready. <laughs> Look around you. <laughs> I was hoping you would get that. <laughs> oh yeah. Um there's a branch of yoga known as uh pranayama, uh the purpose of which is to harness prana energy. We will talk about it uh, more when we do an episode on the spiritual nature of yoga at some point down the road, which is one I really want to do. Like many I got into a conversation about that at work today. Did you really? How'd that specifically, go? Specifically specifically about Bikram hot yoga. Oh. Right? We were talking about Bikram Hot Yoga and how it's basically a dude uh, who rents out a hotel and has a massive sauna where people pay a great deal of money to go hang out with this dude, just like mostly naked at a hotel in a sauna for like nine weeks. And then occasionally he calls them and molests them in his room. Do you want to hear something crazier? Please. All right. Please. In Portland, you can go do yoga with goats goat yoga yes goat yoga yeah and the, the you know the goats will, like climb on your back and shit so uh, are they specially trained goats fuck no they're just goats how they're do you train goats. a goat <laughs> so <laughs> i have no idea i'm just fascinated at the idea that you're like trying to do yoga and trying to like headspace yourself a bit and like all of a sudden a goat just takes a shit on your back like yeah i know what, right what do you do what do you do? Because you can't, you can't yell at the goat. That's gonna mess up everybody else trying to do goat yoga. You take a selfie. You take a selfie with your goat turd. Yep. I've been blessed. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hashtag blessed with goat turds. Yeah. <laughs> like, I do yoga every night. I love yoga. I think it's it's really calming. But and you're in a like low that. goat household, if I recall. We are a no goat household. <laughs> Zero goats Zero present goat. in the household. No, not not a single one. Yeah. Not a goat to be found. No. But anyway, let's get back on track here. <laughs> like many Asian traditions that find their way to the West, yoga is a, a highly spiritual practice that we've stripped down to be a fitness program. So, of course we have. Another example of cultural appropriation. Uh, its original purpose was really spiritual, is to prepare yourself for meditation, for uh, spiritual enlightenment. Actually, meditation is one of the branches or limbs of uh, yoga. Pranayama, which is one of those eight limbs, uses a variety of breath control techniques to enhance the flow of prana, bringing awareness to the spiritual body. And uh, for samadhi, which is a state of meditative consciousness, which we can refer to as even-mindedness. But I think it's uh, really another synonym for what we like to call gnosis, or gnosis is a synonym for this. If we look hard enough, a lot of places there are states of mind very similar in intent, purpose, and appearance to what we would describe as a gnosis state. Yep, it's true. They're kind of everywhere, just lurking. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, in Tibetan Buddhism, there are groups uh, that use variations of pranayama. For Tummo, uh, which is the generation of inner heat, uh, these are the monks that sit nearly naked in the snow at the tops of mountains and apparently are completely fine. I guess some scientific tests have been done on these guys, and they're able to regulate their internal temperature to some degree, which is pretty cool. It's very cool. Uh, That's pretty cool. I saw videos of that in my Psych 101 class. That was one of Just the early... a dude being cold. 
Yeah, and they like put a towel on him, like a wet towel and stuff, and it was weird. And he was just fine. He was just chill. He was like, all right, whatever. It was and all he right. Was, like sitting out in the snow in the top of the Himal, like in the mountains somewhere. It's crazy. Not crazy. It. It's awesome and awesome, but yeah, like I like that's super cool. Yeah, that's it's very cool. All right, so we also have Kundalini and the chakra system. Okay, Kundalini is another form of energy within the Hindu system, which is envisioned like a a coil or a coiled serpent at the base of the spine and the root chakra, which we'll go into a bit soon. That when activated properly through various yoga, meditation, and mantra techniques, works its way up through the chakras as long as one is completely physically and spiritually aligned, eventually reaching the thousand-petaled lotus, the crown chakra, resulting in transformation of consciousness and enlightenment. There's also, among some, the belief that kundalini state can be transmitted from guru to student, but I see a lot of room here for power dynamics and cult-like manipulation i think if you want spiritual advancement and enlightenment you gotta seek it on your own knowing that you may never achieve it the buddha did why not you why can't we all be a little bit the buddha maybe we are all a little bit the buddha that's what the buddha would probably tell us yeah he's a clever duck that buddha Mm -hmm. so the chakra system is part of what is referred to as the psychic anatomy uh, most people in the Western world are at least vaguely aware of the chakra system. I'm gonna I'm gonna drop another in this day and age. Uh, there are seven energy vortices along the spine that extend from the top of the head to the base of the pelvis. According to the spiritual traditions within Hinduism, the seven chakras receive prana from the aura and transmit it throughout the body. Not dissimilar to the five elements and meridians of the Chinese tradition, the chakras are associated with parts of the physical body our emotional experience, and spiritual advancement. As well as certain gods. And then there's like colors associated with them, which are not the colors that we see in most of those memes and pictures on the internet. No. Um, Yeah, that's like a change. Anyway, like many things appropriated by Western culture, chakras have been modified and changed in the Western world to a point where they do not entirely convey the information as they do to uh, people within the Hindu tradition, people that come from that culture and understand the references. Um, One example of this is the images you may see with uh, the chakras running along the body and the hues of the rainbow. This is a, a Western fabrication. Chakras were represented with colors, but they were not in rainbow sequence. Uh, another issue is that many of us have taken the chakra idea a bit too far. They're not really, from my understanding and the people I've listened to and, and read, they're meant to be symbolic. They're meant as points of meditation to be understood and, and focused on for a sort of inner pilgrimage. The We'll go through roughly where the chakras can be located uh, within the within the body. Um, the root chakra can be found at the base of the spine and is associated with survival and the will to live. Next up is the hara, which is about movement, sexuality, physical groundedness. Uh, moving on up, we have the solar plexus chakra, which focuses on desires and emotional energy. Next, we have the heart chakra, which is naturally associated with love and compassion for our fellow humans. Uh, The throat chakra centers around creativity and self-expression. The brow chakra, otherwise known as Ajna, uh, also referred to as the third eye, is located at the brow between the eyes and slightly above 
This chakra is about intellect, intuition, and psychic power. Uh, And the final chakra is not along the spine, but at the top of the head. Uh, This is known as the crown chakra and is associated with the transcendence of spirit. There are also, like I said before, Hindu deities associated with each chakra. One is supposed to meditate on these deities while uh, working your way through the process of kundalini yoga. There are also mantras, which are repetitive-like phrases or chants um, associated with each chakra that can be said aloud or, or in the head. And these are supposed to aid that meditative process and working through each of the phases that the the chakras represent. Uh, Let's talk about mudra. Mudra. Mudra is a Sanskrit word uh, defining or defined as to seal. These are meditative foci uh, done through hand gestures. There are many different mudras, uh, all of which have their own purpose and serve as different meditative foci. Uh, The idea is that since the fingers are at the ends of many of the meridians, energy can be recirculated or released through various hand gestures. There are many mudras, and that's really all we can give you on that. Yeah. Feel free to research further. Yeah, totally. Uh, I do know that the one we use when doing Zazen meditation, where the hands are, uh, the left hand sits inside uh, the right hand and the thumbs touch together and forming sort of a a circle and resting at the hara is called the universal mudra but i don't know any others that's okay anyway i listened to a lot of this guy swami tada smanada tada manada tada mananda i'm sure i butchered his name um sorry dude while researching this section and he said some stuff in this documentary on kundalini yoga i really liked and i think it really fits with our chaos magic house blend if you will he said beliefs are not right or wrong they're helpful or harmful he was specifically talking about how chakras aren't real um, but those who believe that they are are aided in this belief in their meditation we can use belief as a tool as we've talked about many times before in the show to accomplish certain things conversely when we identify Uh, beliefs or ideas or aspects of self that are destructive we need to weed those out and we'll learn more about manipulating our belief systems and our uh, inner selves as we move deeper into the show what we should do what's that what should we do we should do an interlude interlude you say an interlude all right well today's episode is brought to you by the empress the empress The empress is typically depicted as seated with a crown of 12 six-pointed stars. Sometimes she has wings and stands on the moon. She wields a scepter and a shield upon which is a dove representing both male and female forces. Uh, The empress has also been depicted as sitting in a garden. She represents Mother Earth or the goddess Isis, Diana, Venus, so forth. She typically represents uh, the productive activities of the subconscious. All right, so right side up, the empress represents beauty, abundance, femininity, nurturing aspects, and nature. In reverse The Empress warns of a dependence on others or experiencing a creative blockage. According to the traditions of Thelma, the Empress represents luminous consciousness. She also signifies love, happiness, pleasure, sensuality, success in endeavors, gratitude, gentleness, and joy. 
And in negative interpretations, a war, um, it warns of uh, privileged luxury, idleness, debauchery, and dissipation. So let's talk a bit about energy work in Wicca and other more specifically occult practice. All right, let's do that. So let's, let's go into energy in particular. Uh, chi, ki, prana, uh, whatever you'd like to call it, uh, is often just referred to as energy within modern Wicca. Uh, some people will call it goddess energy. Some people will use the terms we have described. Starhawk writes of three kinds of energies that witches conceive of. Uh, the first being elemental or wraith energy. The second is astral energy. Uh, and the third, which we've mentioned in the past, is deep self or the energy of the gods. Mm -hmm. uh, either way, it exists in the Western magical arts as well. But all of this brings us to talking about the one thing you're probably thinking of, which we haven't touched yet in this episode so far, the aura. Yeah, the aura. Um, and the aura exists in Hinduism as well, but we're going to, most of my research and the books I have laying around are from a Wiccan, neo-pagan perspective, so sure. that's the angle we're going to come at it from. The aura, or breeze, is another part of the psychic anatomy. If you're not already familiar with what the aura is, it can be described as a field of circulating energy surrounding and penetrating the body. This field is affected by affected by the environment you're in, including other beings and uh, their energy fields, as well as your internal environment. Buckland refers to the aura as an electromagnetic energy, which emanates from the body. But as we'll find out towards the end of our episode, this can't really be the case, or at least it can't be the case and have the historic beliefs surrounding the aura be entirely accurate. However, Buckland goes on to state that everything, living and not, gives off an aura because all of these things are made up of vibrating energy. On an atomic level, we can imagine this as electrons firing around the nucleus of an atom or subatomically as quarks spinning around within protons and neutrons within the atom's nucleus. We can also see it on a biological level with our body's electromagnetic or bioelectric current. If all of this results in a thing we call an aura, well, at that point, we're kind of stepping out of the realm of hard science. So let's, okay. let's dig into the metaphysic. Let's. Buckland also refers to the aura as an odic force, uh, a term coined by Baron Karl von Rickenbacher in 1845. But Rickenbacher's description of odic force, uh, though he does mention it can be seen as an aura, seems to be closer to the understanding of life force energy we've been developing over the course of this episode. According to Buckland, this is what is being depicted in Christian art during the Middle Ages and Renaissance, when we see paintings or stained glass or frescoes of saints with halos of light surrounding their head or body. Uh, Silver Ravenwolf tells us, that those vibes we pick up off strangers or people we are meeting for the first time are disturbances in our auric field, sending us signals we interpret as intuition, instinct, gut response, or entirely ignore, as many people do. Yeah, there are... Most people will agree that there are three levels of the aura, although SRW claims that there are six. We're going to share with you the three. The ethereal which is the layer that extends from the skin up to no more than about an inch away from the body, is believed to receive and dissipate prana. The astral body extends to about 
12 inches. This layer is highly influenced by the thoughts and emotions, um, both yours and those of others. Usually when we're picking up on a vibe from a person, it's this layer of the aura we're receiving that information from. The last layer is the spiritual field, sometimes also referred to as the causal body. And according to the Indian tradition, the distance of the spiritual body extends from the, the physical, and it depends on the degree of spiritual advancement, how far that goes. Supposedly, it can be up to anywhere from about three feet to several hundred feet, like I guess if you're a uh, a Buddha on earth. That would just be so busy. Additionally, uh, many people see the aura in different colors uh, and each color has its own significance. Though Starhawk tells us we should ignore this and try to feel what the colors mean rather than interpret them based on a prescribed list, we are going to give you a list anyway. Uh, so in the, in classic interpretation, white is illumination, inspiration, or enlightenment. And black is evil, so I guess I'm evil because I love black. Gray. I, I like purple. Yeah, purple's gray too, but... Purple's you know, like the best color. It's a good color. It's I don't, great I don't color. believe in a best color. That's okay. I do. That is fine. Yeah. Gray represents unhappiness or low energy. Bronze represents generosity. Silver uh, represents adaptability or high energy. Gold represents harmony and unlimited potential. Purple is responsibility and being spiritually attuned. That's pretty cool. Good job, purple. Yeah. Uh, indigo represents wisdom and artistic gifts. Uh, blue represents logic and intellect. Green, balance, unless it's like a sickly pea green and then it's like sickness or shouldn't be trusted. Like snot green, not yeah. great. Yeah, exactly. Bilious green. Yellow represents love, creativity, and kindness. Orange represents physical well-being, possible excessive pride. Yep. Red is sexual power, ambition, uh, leadership qualities, and possibly a need to be in control. Pink represents selfless love. And brown represents selfishness. So these are these are some commonly accepted interpretations. Go with them if they work for you. Uh, don't if they don't. Yeah, I've never actually seen aura in color. Nope, me neither. Uh, Buckland asserts that aura and pranic healing can be done by visualizing auras of various colors of light surrounding a person or emanating from our hands as we hold them over someone. Uh, for example, a deep ocean blue to relax someone, or a grassy green hue to invigorate someone. Silver Ravenwolf tells us that when we have uh, left a situation, work, relationship, etc., for negative reasons, or we've just had a big argument, we should cleanse our aura of this negative energy and any lingering connections to the persons we were associated with. Uh, to do this, you can use any of the cleansing and banishing rituals we've already talked about in past episodes. You can develop one that is significant to you. Uh, and after this, you take your dagger or other bladed ritual implement and cut the air around your aura, visualizing any negative connections to you being severed. Be careful not to cut yourself. Do not cut yourself. All right. So we look at this from a chaos magic perspective. Of course we will. Of course we will. In Chaos Magic, energy is referred to as Kia, which the Watkins Dictionary of Magic defines as a primal cosmic life force. According to Spare, Kia continued, sorry, Kia contained spiritual and occult energies that could be channeled into a human organism. 
Uh, he also defined magical sigils to evoke and direct these magical energies to powerful effect. The spare and reference in that quote is Austin Osmond spare, who we haven't discussed yet, but he could probably be considered the godfather of chaos magic. So when we finally do an episode on uh, sigils and when we do an episode on chaos magic altogether, we will talk about spare in more detail. We will. Uh, in Liber Null, Carol describes Kia as one of the fundamental theoretical components of chaos magic. Uh, Carol claims it cannot be experienced directly as it is the basis of experience. Uh, in other words, it allows for consciousness to arise. It is the, the substrate of the socio-emotional chia pet that is the human brain. <laughs> um, he insists that magic should provide Kia more flexibility and freedom to flow and states that Kia is capable of occult power because it is a fragment of the great life force of the universe. Chaos magic involves a lot of manipulation of chance and probability. Carol talks about using Kia to manipulate Aether, what he calls a half-formed matter or reality, to bring about various circumstances or turn events in our favor. He says the, the function of Aether is to, it, it's as an intermediary, I guess, between our, our thoughts and, and Kia. So thoughts give Aether form and Kia provides it with energy or power. In the chapter on invocation uh, in Libernal, Carol mentions that Kia cannot be invoked. It has no dualistic characteristics as uh, to attempt to give Kia a specific characteristic is to deny it another. So in some respects, Kia is similar to Tao. At some points, Carol also seems to use Kia as a, a synonym for soul. Let's talk a bit about the science of this. Uh, so none of this is directly related to spiritual energy, uh, but I think it might be loosely related. So we're going to throw some stuff out there. Yeah, just a little smattering of, of things. Um, sure. While researching this episode, I found an interesting lecture from David Cohen uh, from MIT posted on the Dartmouth University site for engineering. The, uh, it was actually a lecture, not an article, but it, it focused around biomagnetism, which is the science of magnetic fields produced by living organisms. Now, I'm not an engineer or a biologist, but I can give you the basic gist of the video and you can go watch it for yourself if you want. So here it is. There are electrical currents within the body. These currents produce a magnetic field, um, although extraordinarily small or weak, like so infinitesimally small that they needed to build a, a special magnetic shielded room for participants to go in and then measure the magnetic field with specific uh, specialized instruments designed to pick up on like the faintest, slightest magnetism. So with that said, or if aura is more than a conceptual piece to our practice, it's certainly not a strong magnetic field radiating by our body, which many people have claimed it is. Uh, in addition to that, some recently published scientific articles from researchers at Caltech have suggested that humans have a weak sense for Earth's magnetic field, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I think that's really cool. That might explain yeah. why some people have like a better sense of direction than yeah. other people. Like I definitely like if I'm in the city, I easily like a city like portland i mean new york city makes sense because it's all like a grid yeah. system but if it's like a not organized city like portland uh i easily get lost out in the forest though i have a way better sense of direction i tend to do a pretty good job of building mental maps of places so i don't know 
if that's a good measure or gauge for that. I can only do that if I'm walking. Like if I walk a place, I learn it. But if I'm in a car, I I definitely don't know where I am. I'm I have to see a map of a place first, and then I can associate that with what it actually looks like. That's cool. Yeah, I yeah. I will forget that map as soon as That's I start okay. looking at it. <laughs> we also have an electrical current that runs through us. Our cells communicate through electrical signals. The firing of our neurons in our brains operates via an electrochemical process. Our heart rate um, also has an electrical current. There's this thing called binaural beats, which is not necessarily hard science, but certain uh, sounds and and brain waves that are supposed to cause, or certain sounds um, that you can listen to with like headphones on, they're supposed to cause changes in uh, your your brain or states of mind, things like that. Which does sound pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a lot of research on that, but you no, know, I have no idea. I imagine it's very similar to listening to soothing music, right? That's probably. Gonna, cause your your brain waves to chill out a bit <laughs> yeah all right gentle listeners i want to give you guys some stuff to actually practice this week uh, we're going to give you two specific things to take home and practice the first is a key energy cultivation technique from qigong and the second is visualizing auras all right so let's jump in with this energy cultivation sure. shaw recommends a series of things for generating and harnessing the power of key other than sleep, regular sleep, and dietary restrictions we discussed above, he also suggests uh, learning to meditate as um, one of the steps, as it takes focus and intention to work with key. You cannot do this with a distracted mind. Uh, he does not outline a specific meditative methodology, although he has a series of practices in his book. I'm going to continue to push for zazen meditation as um, your prime focused meditative technique. Hey, now, we is, play favorites and we're not sorry. Yeah, that's not to say I don't and you shouldn't use other techniques, but I think zazen meditation is a good regular practice and other things are specialized. Sure. Shaw reminds us that key naturally flows through the universe. It flows into us at our hara through the body, and out. We should never try to control it, or the results could be disastrous, but we can learn to use it if we don't try to control it. And one of the ways we can start to do this is through breath. Yeah, proper breathing is a fundamental part of deep meditation as well as key development. It is why in episode two, when I started describing the Zazen process, I mentioned that many people will start out focusing on breath and then eventually let that fall away. You get into a good habit with it. Yeah. You need to be using your full lung capacity. So breathing deeply and do this. If you're doing this properly, you should have a, a straight, fully erect spine. Sitting on a Zafu or meditation pillow will help, but you must also put intention towards maintaining your posture. Um, you may have to rebuild some of the muscle in your back, you know, over time to do this properly as, you know, many of us who work in front of computers slouch and a lot of that muscle deteriorates, but this is good while exercising your back muscles. You can also put some time into your physical fitness and uh, a healthy body promotes a healthy mind. Sure. Also aerobic exercise helps promote cardiovascular health, which helps circulate that precious oxygen throughout the body. Uh, but back to breathing, in addition to filling up your lungs with full, deep breaths, you should be breathing in through your nose. 
if you are not, you must make a conscious effort to relearn breath until you are naturally breathing in through your nose. If your stomach is going in instead of expanding when you breathe, you're probably doing it wrong. You want to practice fully expanding your lungs both downward and outward. So your stomach should expand outwards and push down towards your pelvis. Your ribs should expand to the sides. Your back should flex very slightly. There's a lot of lung in there. You know, get in it. Yeah, fill that lung up all the way. So you can't fill it up anymore. Both of them, if you have them. Oh, yeah. If you got two and they work, do it. Do it to it. All right, so here is your first key practice activity. You can find some more in Shaw's book as well as many other places um, online or in other books or um, other places. But here's your basic one. You're going to stand with your arms at your sides, your feet about shoulder width apart, your spine completely erect. As you breathe in, you're going to raise your arms, palms facing out, hands relaxed, and form a loose triangle above your head. Hold that for a few moments. And then as you exhale, you're going to bring your arms down in front of you, palms facing down as if you were pushing something down, but without any tensing of the muscles or physical force. Then you're going to return your hands to your sides. Some people will drop their hands in sort of a universal mudra or a downwards facing triangle in front of the hara before dropping their hands to their sides. You can do that too. But the whole time you're doing this, you want to visualize or imagine energy entering your body through your hara, again, about four inches below your belly button, and then exiting your hara as you exhale. Do this about 10 times, and that's your basic key development training. Like I said, it gets deeper and more advanced um, than that, but you you can start with that one uh, for you know, basic uh, key development and work to uh, more advanced stuff later on if you like. But for all of you aspiring energy workers out there, uh, this ought to get you started. Once you've got the basics down and you feel like uh, you've got your body into good habits for breathing, posture, hand movements, you can start trying to feel flow as you breathe in and out. Yeah. You don't need to try to control it. It's important not to do that. But you can start trying to feel the flow through your body. Yes, absolutely. So the second thing that we want you guys to take away uh, is auric sensing and visualization. All right, so auric sensing and visualization. It's easiest to do if the person you're looking at is standing in front of a plain background. It doesn't really matter the color of the background unless you're trying to see colors, I guess. I've never been able to do that. But nope. the background should be plain and uninterrupted if possible. If you have like a house that has like, I don't know, bright slats. pink walls or something. Yeah. You, yeah. You just want like plain matte finish background. Back during my undergrad, I would do this a lot in classes because all the rooms in our buildings were completely bare white and weird white hospital walls. Yeah. Basically, they all had whiteboards in them. And so my pre- professors were usually standing in front of the class in front of a whiteboard It was pretty easy to just kind of do the thing. But the first step is is to take some deep breaths and and get yourself good and relaxed. So once you've selected the person that you're going to try and view, uh, look at the space around them. You want to look for like a thin glowing line. According to Starhawk, this is the wraith. And if you look around it, there should be a fuzzy astral body lighter in color than the backdrop your participant is in front of. Uh, If you are working with someone specific, like in a training type scenario, 
rather than doing uh, what Hector was describing above, you can have the participant dampen or project their energy, uh, as Starhawk recommends in the chapter, on the cone of power. Yeah, and SRW has some interesting stuff, um, interesting practices, self-practices without any other person on um, dampening and projecting uh, the aura specifically in Solitary Witch that I, I, again, that's another thing that I, I read from Solitary Witch and I was like, oh man, I've been doing that for years. That's kind of cool that, you know, this thing I feel like I independently came up with is a thing other people do. Quite. When I was working on this back in the day, I noticed it was really helpful to like look past the person, but not like at anything in particular. So when you're looking around them, your eyes shouldn't be like moving around. You're just like looking at that space just beyond their edge. It's often referred to as a soft focus. Is it? Where you're just, you're not really focused on anything. Like you're looking kind of off into the middle distance towards a person or object. uh, And you just allow your eyes to lose focus a little bit. So everything gets a little fuzzy and you start to be able to see uh, generalized shapes as opposed to specific details. Yeah. And like to take this back to martial arts, that's a good tip for like fighting, sparring. I do it a lot. Um, when I'm uh, practicing longsword, when I'm, I'm sparring with, with partners for Fiore and also uh, in heavy combat. During parent-teacher conferences, also really good. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And yeah, I do it in, in SCA heavy combat too. Oh, yeah. But um, basically what you want to do is, or what I do, I guess, is when I'm, I'm looking to see the aura and I'm looking, using that soft focus, looking slightly past them, I consciously relax my eyes and the muscles in my face because that like is something I tense a lot without like like unconsciously tense. And by yeah, relaxing, you can carry a lot of tension in your face. Yeah, totally. By relaxing that consciously, it, it helps like open, uh, open it up so I can see stuff a little bit. So then you can start to see that that thin line that Starhawk calls wraith, and that blurry area. I never saw colors. Uh, many people claim you can see them. I just saw the line and like, I guess the I to me it looked like light, but whatever Starhawk calls it like a blurry, cloudy field or something like that. So maybe all my professors were saints. They probably weren't, though. I'm pretty sure they weren't. Uh, According to SRW, you can use these techniques to look at the auras of all living things, plants, animals. Uh, You could even use a mirror to look at your own aura. Uh, She also mentions doing this in class thing you talked about earlier. Yeah. Like, again, another thing I read in Solitary Witch that I was like, huh, I do that or did that. Sure. Yeah, I guess. So that's what we'd like you to take away gentle listeners that's your homework Uh, that is work on your posture work on your breathing try these energy generation techniques work on aura perception and visualization uh if you develop a sense for colors that's awesome tell us about it if you do not that's fine too we would love to hear about your progress indeed on our facebook community group fellow travelers or our instagram at fool's guide we'd also like you to check in with our art contest and make a cool design for our logo that uh we would like that a lot you can use we'll we would like it so much that if we like yours the most we'll send you a t-shirt absolutely i'm in the progress of printing 41 t-shirts for a client right now i think i can easily set up a screen to print a nice one for our contest winner yeah we'll squeeze one more in there yeah. uh let's uh let's buzz through some of the works that we cited this episode okay um well as usual we have silver uh sorry raymond buckland uh his complete book of witchcraft uh we have peter j carroll's lieber null 
uh, and Psychonaut. Yeah, although we didn't touch on Psychonaut. It's we did not pull from Psychonaut directly this time. Uh, Lucy Lindell, the the Book of Massage. Uh, Silver Raven Wolf Solitary Witch, per use. Scott Shaw, The Key Process. Uh, Starhawk's The Spiral Dance. Uh, I think that's about what we got today. It is. It is. I'm not sure what we're going to cover ne- next time. I keep writing next week in the notes, but like this is a bi-weekly podcast. We're, we're not that productive. Oh, well, I'd like to be, but we can't currently because we have we lives. Can't. We're busy. Um, we, we have lives and jobs. Yeah, I'd like this to be my job, but. That'd be pretty cool. That would be really cool. Anyway, we keep telling you that, you know, next week it'll be this or it'll be that thing. But often, you know, we get working on it and realize that we need to wait for a little while or, the, the, you know, the topic isn't right for now and we need to save it for later. Or we don't have enough resources, so on. So and we haven't covered enough foundational material yet. Yeah, whatever. There's we'll a be. lot of basics, friends. There's a lot of stuff we got to cover. Yeah. And I started the last uh, side quest that we did just interviewing each other. I was originally going to do a side quest on drawing down the moon and i got real deep in the research and when i started writing the thing it turned into an episode on invoking which we're just not really ready to give you yet so i mean that's a whole episode that's done but we had to come up with something for our last episode and that's what it was so for the for the near future look for an episode on uh checking to see whether your stuff is working and maybe look for a side quest on uh the lesser banishing ritual the pentagram yeah we're gonna do that one at some point that's a good one yeah if you are a devout practitioner of a specific path um we'd love to talk to you on air uh if you are a priest or priestess of a religion uh we'd love to talk to you if you're a specific practitioner if you're a practitioner, we'd love to talk to you. If you're specifically related to voodoo, vodun, or vodou, I really want to talk to you. I really want to do that would be super an episode cool. on that, but two white guys can't do it. So we, we really can't, and we yeah. won't try without some help. Exactly. So um, throwing that out there again to the universe. Another wild one. If you started your practice based on what we've covered in this uh, series, and you're interested in talking about your progress on air, we'd love to talk to you too. Heck yeah, that would be wonderful. That'd be uh, yeah. so cool. It would be cool. All right, well, that brings us to a close. So go forth and practice, my friends. Expand your minds, keep good notes, get that journal out, and seek all the knowledge you can. Uh, but for tonight, our purpose is done, and our circle is broken. Go back to the world, enriched in knowledge and alight with laughter, at least a little bit more than when we started. So mote it be. So mote it be. So mote it be, thrice bound and done. Until next time, listeners, fools out. Keep dreaming, my dreamy friends.